everyone. Thank you for joining um, people of colour um, today amongst us. We're going to be discussing the Ford report um, and specifically the issue of anti-black racism within the Labour Party um, and Islamophobia within the Labour Party too. Um, obviously, there's a lot that has been said already um, about the Ford inquiry. It's primarily been based on factionalism. There's been very little discussion around Islamophobia and anti-black racism. Um, so just to start off, I'm going to pass over to Samantha from Media Diversified. Hi, Taj. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay, fantastic. Um, hi, everybody. Um, yeah, this is Samantha Samadu. Um I just wanted to quickly introduce the space and then I'll, I'll jump off and let um, uh, Taj host. Um, I know some people might be thinking, like, we're in the middle of a Tory leadership um, contest and Boris Johnson's finally imploded while we're talking about the Labour Party, but um, I actually think it's important that we do. And um, the reason being is so often that progressive institutions or institutions that are seen as progressive are very often not interrogated for the, um, the discriminations, the, the hierarchies that can happen within them. I mean, you may have heard about what's happened in the New Yorker recently. There's a woman who's worked there since the 90s and she called out, um, she talked about sort of anti-black racism there, there's no black editors, she talked about sexism and um, she was fired, I think, two days ago. And I think the same with the Labour Party, I see them as an institution that is nominally seen as progressive, uh, thus things can be let go. And, and um, so we're going to be talking, as Tadja will say, about discrimination within, the, uh, within that institution and what happens there. Um, so that's why it's important. Of course, we do not let the Tory party off, off, off at all. Uh, we closed in 2019 and only came back online in December 2021 because of policies that the Tory party were bringing in, specifically the Nationality and Borders Bill. So we do not let anybody off, but we, today we're here to talk about what's happening in the Labour Party and specifically the Ford report. I'm going to read out um, a statement that's been given to us from the Labour, um, sorry, let me just see, uh, the Labour Black Women um, Group. They're not able to join in today because there is a pending litigation that they're doing, so they, they don't want to um, sort of prejudice any case going forward, but they have given us um, some statements. They actually, um, they submitted complaints to Labour HQ over the past 10 years, which have never been addressed. Uh, repeated emails were ignored. Um, so full details were subsequently submitted to the Ford inquiry and may well form part of some of the uh, shocking revelations that the report alludes to. Um, so what they've written to me is complaints have come from professional women who have been regularly regular constituency Labour Party CLP members, as well as officers and local and national candidates to councils, the London Assembly and Parliament, as well as members who are also local council employees and union activists. So just a summary of some of the complaints. Uh, number one, blocking of BAME candidates for local council election, regional London Assembly selection and national PPC selection. Um, so these complaints were sent to Labour HQ in between 2010 and 2019. They remain unanswered. Two, a culture of bullying and harassment in local CLP, members being systematically driven out of the local party, having been constantly undermined. Three, a culture of racially motivated bullying and harassment of Labour activists who have also been union activists in some of, the London's, uh, sorry, some of London's Labour councils. Four, targeting blacklisting of union activists and BAME, council employees who have called out unequal treatment and discriminatory practices. 
Five, uh, BAME. Employees disproportionately face redundancy during successive Labour Council restructures. And six, um, disproportionate number of tribunal cases being brought against Labour Councils by BAME employees. And so that's something they've written to me about. I'll put some of it out on our Twitter later. But yeah, so I just wanted to say thank you for joining this conversation. Thank you so much for the, go uh, the people that are speaking um, today. They've all come together over the last few days because we think the Ford report is important and it's important to uh, um, interrogate this. And um, I'll hand over to Taz. Thank you. Thank you so much, Samantha. Samantha, you know, behind the scenes, she's put in a lot of work to try and organise this space and get speakers uh, to talk about this very important topic. Um, so just last Tuesday, the board report was released after a two year delay and it made some damning claims about the Labour Party failing to tackle anti-black racism and Islamophobia within the party. Um, it was commissioned after a leaked party dossier concluded um, that there were, you know, there were WhatsApp messages in there that were racist against senior Labour MPs like Diane Abbott. Uh, there was bullying. There was accusations of sexism. Um, and there was an awful lot of factional manoeuvring within Labour HQ. Um, now, just to read some of the quotes from the Ford report, I think one of the first things that strikes you when you read it is it says that its aims and values state that it wants to create a community where we live together freely in a spirit of solidarity, tolerance and respect. From the evidence we received, it is clear that across the Labour Party, these aims and values are not being fully respected and lived out. Um, now, the specific WhatsApp messages that were sent by Labour staffers about Diane Abbott are quite significant because Diane Abbott received half of all abusive tweets sent to female MPs in the run-up to the 2017 general election. That's according to research by Amnesty International. Um, and the Labour report in April 2020 revealed messages that when Diane Abbott was apparently found crying in the toilets in the wake of such abuse, senior Labour staffers were mocking and insulting her. Um, and in response to those WhatsApp messages, the Ford inquiry concluded that the criticisms of Diane Abbott are not simply a harsh response to perceived poor performance. They are expressions of visceral disgust drawing on racist tropes and they bear little resemblance to the criticisms of white male MPs elsewhere in the messages. Now, it's very rare to actually find any evidence of this in some of the reporting uh, that we've seen recently. And that's another um, issue that we probably will discuss today, the reporting on anti-black racism and Islamophobia within the Labour Party. And this is important because we have to remember that many ethnic minority communities support the Labour Party, vote for the Labour Party. They hold the balance of power in many parliamentary constituencies. Um, so not just electorally, more importantly, any party that frames itself as progressive, you'd think that they would be anti-racist in everything they do. Uh, the Ford report has over a thousand submissions and there's people who detail their own experiences of anti-black racism and Islamophobia within the Labour Party. Um, so just to kick off the discussion, I want to invite Hamza Ali Shah uh, just to talk about your initial reaction to the Ford report. Uh, thank you. Thank you for a stellar introduction. And thank you to Samantha, first and foremost, and Media Diversified for this necessary initiative. Sometimes we have to take things into our, into our own hands, give a voice to the voiceless. Um, yeah, the the report was bleak. Uh, it was depressing. I think it was it had two effects. I think it confirmed 
um, people's worst fears and simultaneously verified some of the grievances uh, that people from various communities uh, had expressed regarding the Labour Party. And you never really want it to be true. You kind of, you have your fears and you have your suspicions and you have your experience and you think maybe I misinterpreted, but I mean, the unmistakable message was in, in the report, um, the findings were, were depressing. Um, I think if you situate it within the episode itself, so not just the report, but the, the fallout, sort of the subsequent coverage, and if, if you like, the, the framing from from Labour spokespeople, uh, the way the media picked up on it, the reporting, um, it kind of it showed a collective disdain, if you like, for these communities who have actually, who bear the brunt of most of these, uh, most of these sort of damaging policies and and an increasingly right-wing culture. Um, so yeah, it, it, it kind of, it showed that these communities, whether it's the, the Muslim community, the Gypsy Roller Traveller community, the Black community, Asian community, various minority ethnic communities and I know a lot of those uh, do interlink um, it showed that there is a there is a multi-pronged attack on those on those communities and like I said when you when you see the findings when you when you read about it, you think it's like my goodness this is we've got an uphill struggle here especially in a, in a party that's supposed to be one that stands for diversity hope uh, inspiration supposed to be a safe haven for you and for a lot of these communities um, and then you then you see the, the briefings from the from Labour spokespeople and you think there's not even a there's no desire to interact to, to reflect to critically engage with the report um, you see the media sort of just parroting certain lines from journalists who who should really do better and who you expect better from so like I said it, it just collectively it showed the report itself was bleak but then the episode for which sort of the its release its findings the, the subsequent coverage it painted a really bleak picture and it kind of put us all in the room all these like communities looking at each other looking for hope looking for some something and just nothing was forthcoming like it, it it's a it's an uphill struggle from here because like i said it's the entire the way it was handled as well shows there is no the, the message was clear like unmistakably clear they were just basically saying look we your concerns are not that important to us it's we have our narrative we're going to manipulate the truth we're going to frame it a certain way and so essentially the, the fears and concerns and and worries and the angst from these communities just fell on their fears which was like i said it's uh really depressing Thank you for that, Hamza. Um, one thing that really sticks out in the Ford report, this is one of the quotes. In our view, the fundamental problem is that people who are committed to progressive politics find it difficult, if not impossible, to accept that they might have acted in a way which was discriminatory. Um, I wonder what your take is on that. Is that something you've experienced? Um, yeah, well, I, I personally, I, my experiences are slightly different. So, I I didn't personally like on the campaign trail in 2017 or or in or, or in 2019. There was I didn't personally experience anything, but I have. I remember from earlier I have several friends who worked in various capacities in the Labour Party, and I remember actually the one that always uh, stuck out for me was I had a friend, a non-Muslim friend, um, and he would. This was I think during Miliband or just after Miliband, so I think, um, and we were quite young at the time. This is seven, eight, eight years ago. Um, this is like it was an internship. And he he was he was talking about how he he'd seen uh, sort of anti anti Muslim if you like a culture of anti Muslim hatred in the party and and he and he's not even a Muslim and he's and he clocked onto it and he was like like it's, this is this is bad and so I kind of when I was thinking today I thought that's exactly what the Labour Muslim Network report said in the sense of even if people who don't experience it they see other people experience it and it's like it's commonplace it's so pervasive um, and and I guess my experience is that when you do raise it up 
um, like I said, whether you're writing, whether you appear on different shows, podcasts, whatever it might be, and you just get the same comments, oh, put up or shut up, like, why are you raising this? Or oh, you're just a Tory enabler, as if the concerns of, like, people who faced oppression, faced discrimination, prejudice, should be situated within a wider political context, as if they're not important or... So, yeah, like, it's... In ev- at, every, at every level, it's just... Whether it's directly in the party, whether it's uh, through the work you do, whether it's through activism, there's just... Like I said, it's multi-pronged, it's multifaceted, and it's, it's toxic. Thank you for that, Hamza. I think what you mentioned there about people calling you a Tory enabler, I mean, I've seen it myself when I've talked about my own experience at university facing Islamophobia, blatant racism. I was told, oh, you're just a Tory enabler. What about Islamophobia in the Conservative Party? Uh, you've not mentioned that, even though I've previously written on it. Um, and it's one of those things where the concerns of Muslims, the concerns of black people doesn't appear to be a priority. Um, I want to bring in Rachel here. Um, you know, the media response on the Ford Report has been quite shambolic. You're a journalist who's previously written on both Islamophobia and anti-black racism. Uh, what's been your reaction to the Ford Report and the way the media's reported on it? Hello there, Taj. Can you hear me okay? Yep, we can hear you. Uh, thanks so much for hosting this space and for having me on. Um, the, I think the you know, the complete sort of silence about the racism and the um, the anti-black racism and the Islamophobia are pretty shocking. It seems clear reading between the lines of the Ford report. It is, you know, fairly loyally and um, sterile in its language, but it, reading between the lines, he seems quite shocked um, at the racism in the party. And he's shocked at the factionalism and the culture of the party. So the factionalism in this context, he's saying, you know, not only is it making you dysfunctional as a political party, but it's also means that racism, it's impossible for the party to handle racism or deal with it properly because it's just seen through a factional lens. Um, and that certainly uh, chimes with my experience of just interviewing people about racism. So whether that was anti-Semitism during the Corbyn years or, you know, writing pieces about anti-Black racism and Islamophobia in the Labour Party, where people would say, actually, whenever we raise this, we're seen as, you know, just factional attacks on Starmer, as opposed to raising genuine, valid concerns and complaints about our experiences as um, Muslims and people of colour inside the Labour Party. So there was a real parallel there in reporting across those issues and it's something that, that the Ford report highlighted but also the culture the culture that enables the horrific racism that we saw in those leaks of the comments made by people at senior level um, you know the Ford report said you know they had so many complaints and so many comments about the racist culture in the party that they felt it necessary to put an annex in the report uh, to give a sort of cross-representative sample of some of those co- comments. That's how big the scale was. And so then when you put that against the reaction of both the party and the media reaction, um, it's almost like confirming exactly what the report says. It's, it's playing into the factionism of, oh, we're not going to take this seriously because it's not coming from our faction. It's playing into the, you know, it's reinforcing the exact, culture 
which the the Ford report is talking about. Um, and so, especially when you look at, you know, the Ford report is full of people talking about feeling like there's a hierarchy of racism in the party. And you get the report warning that if the party doesn't deal with this, and it has lots of recommendations about dealing with the culture, it says if the party doesn't deal with this, it's going to reinforce this impression. And so everything that we've seen since in the media response, in Starmer's response the other day when he was interviewed in Liverpool, is only cementing that. And it's just not only morally completely reprehensible, but it's also really toxic and divisive for racialized minorities. Pick up on something you mentioned about the hierarchy of racism. Um, you know, in the Ford report, it says there was a very strong perception that the party is operating a hierarchy of racism and discrimination. Um, is that something that resonates with you? Is has that is that been something that people are just, you know, not willing to talk about? Is there an an anxiety around discussing something like this? Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because it has to be acknowledged that people who did, you know, submit those comments um, to the Ford report, you know, it does. I think it is very difficult to make those com comments because you raise the risk of being accused of, you know, come back like, oh, are you saying that, are you saying that anti-Semitism shouldn't be handled? You know, you can get it twisted in that way. And certainly when I interview people for the articles I wrote for The Independent about anti-Black racism and Islamophobia, that came up all the time. You know, people were very clear that this is not about not dealing with anti-Semitism, obviously. It's just that there needs to be consistency. These things have to be treated equally. Um, and it really, anyone with any understanding of, of anti-racism and dealing with racism would, would get that you cannot just isolate one racism, not just because that's divisive, but that because that's not actually anti-racist. Um, and so for that to be reinforced in, in Starmer's reactions the other day, I think is, is just incredibly poisonous. And what it makes me think is obviously you know, we need to challenge this in Labour. We need to be pushing them to deal with this. By the way, the EHRC report also said, you know what, this could be a template to treat other racisms, you know, as, as a policy to tackle other racisms. The Ford report says, by the way, the Labour Muslim Re uh, Network put together an excellent report about Islamophobia in the party. We recommend it, you know. But it makes me think that as well as challenging Labour on this, Labour itself is not a useful site for us to do alliance building, anti-racism work, because it's actually part of the problem. It's actually making things worse. Thank you so much for that, Rachel. And you referenced the Labour Muslim Network report. Um, the Labour Muslim Network actually produced uh, a report in 2020 where they found that 29% of Labour Muslim members um, had suffered Islamophobia in the Labour Party. I mean, that is pretty damning. We talk a lot about Islamophobia in the Conservative Party, but the reality is it's an issue across the political spectrum. We've seen many Labour figures talk about Islamophobia in the Conservative Party, um, but they're not willing to do some introspection and talk about Islamophobia within their own ranks as well. Um, and, you know, the Labour Muslim Network, after the Ford report, released a statement 
where they said that Muslim members have consistently told us that they feel that Islamophobia often sits at the bottom of this perceived hierarchy. Um, it added that it is difficult to read this report and reach any other conclusion that there being institutional Islamophobia within the Labour Party. Um, I just want to bring in Afros who wanted to give her take on, on the Ford report. Um, thank you, Taj, and thank you um, to Media Diversify for organising the space um, and the speakers as well. Um, I absolutely agree with what Rachel was saying, that uh, we, you know, Labour is really not uh, a space where we can do any sort of meaningful anti-racism work anymore. Um, I don't know if it ever was, to be honest, um, but... Uh, Definitely not now. Um, my actually, what I did want to say less is less so a reaction to the report as it is to Starmer's reaction to the report. Um, and it's just so the report, I think, pretty much uh, for people who are aware of what went on, um, I think it's it really just confirms things that we already knew to some extent. Um, but what's really, really disgusting to me is the way that Starmer has kind of dismissed it and just like brushed it off. Um, you know, so he went on the radio and said stuff like uh, it was from ish addressing issues from like two years ago um, and that aren't, uh, you know, an issue in his leadership, which is complete nonsense as we know, right? I mean, the things that Zara Sultana has been through and he has not once offered a word of solidarity. She has had death threats and he has not once publicly supported her in any, in, in any sort of way. And we know pretty much why that is. It's because, you know, she is a left-wing Labour MP, right? Um, the other uh, thing is, you know, he talks about kind of rooting out anti-Semitism and that being a priority, but then he's gone and purged left-wing Jewish Labour members. So, you know, obviously, anti-Semitism is not something that he cares about. Um, it's really just any anti-Semitism or any kind of racism. It's really just used as kind of an issue for political point scoring. When it works for them, they use it cynically. Um, and when it doesn't, they just do not give a shit. Oh, I'm sorry about language. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's really just, I don't know if I expected anything different, I suppose. But just to see it in, in action, you know, just to see him dismissing it the way that he did, like just offhand is, is just truly disgusting. Um, and I think that has actually made me more angry than what was in the report. Like I knew the stuff that went down. I was a Labour member, like I signed on briefly around the general election time. And then I, you know, I, I kind of, I, I left then after that, um, because of everything that went down. Um, but seeing this reaction is just, um, is is really what's kind of even more sickening to me than what was in the report. Thank you for that, Afros. Um, now I'm gonna ask uh, Pez to give his take um, on the Ford report and then we'll go to Shasta. Sweet, how can you hear me, Taj, okay? Yep. Cool. Uh, first off, just want to say thank you very much, um, Sam, Media Diversified, all the speakers for coming out. Um, yeah, I pretty much agree 100% with what um, Afro said previously. Um, and I think, I mean, you mentioned um, Zara Sultana. 
you only have to look at the way the Labour Party has treated Oksana Begum um, and that whole disgusting ordeal that she's been put through um, to see the sort of way that they think about uh, Muslim people, let alone black people. Um, and as for Starmer, I mean, he's, his record is there, do you know what I mean? Um, anyone that's been paying attention, we know who these people are. We know what they've been up to, Starmer, as, as DPP. Um, we know the sort of institutional rot that is sort of in the Labour Party. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that anything that's come from this report has been a surprise. Um, like Afroz was saying, it just uh, confirms what we knew. Um, and obviously the response, I think, has been the most, the most telling of all. Um, and I find, it, I find it quite funny that it, it took a dyed-in-the-wall Tory, uh, Peter Oborn, to sort of come out and be one of the first few journalists to say that, uh, you know, this report is actually saying that um, Jeremy Corbyn was undermined here. And it's, it's taken, you know, a, a proper Tory like Peter Oborn to actually come out and say it. Whereas, you know, on all the primetime, uh, any sort of primetime news, you're not going to hear a peep about it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it uh, doesn't come as a surprise um, if you've been sort of paying attention. Um, and like Afro says, it sort of just confirms what we knew. Thank you for that. Pez, uh, uh, Shaista, you wanted to come in? Yeah. Hi, good evening, everyone. Just want to start, first of all, just by thanking Sam, writers of colour, Taj, you and the panel for being here and everyone else as well. It's so important that we're having this discussion. Um, so I agree with what's been said already. Um, the points I just wanted to raise really are that, you know, there is a fundamental lack of understanding of racism, institutional racism, structural racism and white supremacy in the Labour Party. And let's not pretend that this is a recent phenomena. This has been going on for decades and decades and decades. Um, my late dad um, was a trade unionist his whole life. He was, a, he was a lifelong member of the RMT union. And, you know, the struggles he faced in that space as a, as a Muslim man, as a migrant, as a, a man of colour, it was just absolutely shocking and outrageous and we know that the Labour movement as well is not a utopia it's not a racial utopia just like the Labour Party isn't you know anti-semitism and Islamophobia are are, are friends okay you you often find one with the other they are two sides of the same coin there has been a denial of anti-semitism in, in the party that I'm a member of which I find hor horrific um, and completely unacceptable uh, there is also a denial of Islamophobia in the party as well and as we know black people can be Muslims and Jews as well and black anti-black racism is rife and it's it's thriving in labor spaces and the factionalism is a pure curse which is just made things so much worse and the gendered aspects of it really need to be focused on as well um, you know we know that if you are a visible Muslim woman I myself am a woman who chooses to wear a hijab I've received death threats I'm a counsellor um, you know I've got you know a high profile as a counsellor as a cabinet member in my city I've received death threats I've received obscene levels of abuse based on my um, identity as a Muslim woman and you know I, I defy anyone to think that um, you know, the, the people sort of who are coming through the ranks in the Labour Party who are minoritised, racialised people feel safe because we don't feel safe. You know, already today, um, uh, Diane Abbott has come out to, uh, to ask uh, for accountability in relation to the Ford report. And we know that... Um, 
uh, Kate Osmore has also come out and uh, you know we know that women black women are you know facing uh, double triple whammy of this uh, obscene levels of racism including misogyny as well this all needs to be tackled now the challenge here for the Labour Party is do they want to be a progressive party? Do they want to be a party fit for purpose? They claim to be a party that's a government in waiting. Well, the current government that has collapsed itself is one of the most right-wing nativist governments in the history of this country. Daily racism is being denied daily. You know, the, the culture wars are being, um, uh, you know, going into overdrive. I mean, just look at this shambolic leadership race. It's just highly embarrassing. So it, it does seem at the moment that British politics is really focusing on a race to the bottom. But, you know, the Labour Party and the Labour movement must do better. And I think this is why it's so important that we're having this conversation this evening, because we do need to we need to hold them to account, the leadership to account but also want to be really clear um you know this crisis of racism in this party didn't stop didn't start with jeremy corbyn it didn't stop with jeremy corbyn it's been an ongoing crisis um from from the word go you know the labor party has been responsible for a lot of grotesque um racist legislation um you know a lot of the trade union movement has failed to stand up for working class people of color uh, and that's been that's gone on that's on record and everyone can read about that you know there's plenty of information there and i think that we have to be really clear about this um if we are to really tackle this issue then it can't be done through the lens of factionalism and this is the most depressing aspect of all of this is the way the factionalism has just destroyed you know kind of the last remains of unity that were left amongst people who are struggling to stand in solidarity with each other now very recently i had a meeting with david evans um a Labour Party headquarters with another Muslim woman who happens to just so happens to wear a hijab. We went there to talk about Apsana Begum. We want to raise our concerns about what has been happening to Apsana Begum, and we also put it to um, the chair that we, we put it to the Labour Party that you know there is a hierarchy of racism in this party, and as Labour members and as councillors and those who are invest time in the structures of this party and you know are doing the hard work day in day out, we demand accountability. We demand better. Um, so, you know, we we received a written response from David Evans and, um, you know, in that response, he states very clearly that the Labour Party is deeply concerned about Islamophobia and wants to have a more meaningful uh, dialogue with particularly with Muslim women in the Labour Party and uh, wants to root out Islamophobia and all forms of racism. So, you know, we will be responding to that letter and we will be finding out what the actual uh, pathway is uh, following on from that meeting. Um, so, like I said, one more time, I think it's really important that we're having this discussion. I think one of the biggest challenges here is that this country has become more and more right wing in just in the last five years alone. Uh, it's becoming harder and harder to really survive the levels of you know horror that are being inflicted on everyday people from the cost of living crisis uh, to you know covid all of this is disproportionately impacting black people and people of color the islamophobia that we're seeing uh, which is fueling the far right across europe i mean just look at the french elections right utterly horrifying um just look at the way the tory party has uh, you know outlining its program uh, for whoever is going to become the leader of, of the country is just shocking and disgusting and i think what what la labor's failed on many fronts and one of the things it's really failed on is uh, 
creating an environment where we are encouraged as people on the left to understand that all oppression interlinks, it intersects, and we cannot fight one form of racism without fighting another form of racism. If we're serious about being anti-racist as a party, then, you know, we have a lot of work to do. But equally, as as people on the front line, you know, people of colour working in these spaces, it's a bloody hard often horrifying space to work in we also need to come out and show solidarity to solidarity to each other and we need to mirror the behaviors and the actions that we want to see thank you for that shyster and just on that topic of action you've you've mentioned that you know you've spoken to david evans we've seen statements from the labor party i mean in response to the ford report they mentioned that the Labour Party was a party out of control um, and they're starting to change things. Now, the perception amongst many black members of the Labour Party, many Muslim members of the Labour Party, many supporters of the Labour Party um, is that that is not the case. Um, I want to bring in Janelle here um, to talk about what action could combat this racism and this Islamophobia and why hasn't Labour done it? Well, thank you so much, Taj, and thank you to Sam and, and writers and Media Diversified Rights of Colour. Um, I think it's really interesting, and I think the very first thing, if you want to tackle something like this, is you do have to enter into a dialogue. And I think the first thing that's happened is there's been no dialogue entered into uh, a sense that no dialogue is going to happen, because actually they're saying, well, all dealt with, um, it's okay, you know, we've kind of dealt with it, and so that kind of is hoping to put a lid on it. And I think one of my frustrations in a lot of so-called progressive liberal spaces is that actually a lot of the allyship that we see in those spaces is actually rooted in a lot of sometimes white superiority and a right way of doing things. And that's their way. So when they say it's over, we're done with it now, it's over, we're done with it now. And I think this is why spaces like this are important. I am a journalist and a you know, broadcaster and I've been messaging all my mates saying that this is going on like we need to talk about this because in 2020 the leaked report was not discussed because there was covid there was all the things going on and then back in 2022 now we have a tory leadership contest and it just kind of feels like in the news cycle sometimes these things get buried and it's almost as if without the pressure the external media pressure it's almost as if no one actually wants to do anything but I have seen in these past two years is the fact that conversations like this um, and the repeated um, not letting it go can pressure people to do something. I think if we look at kind of what they could be doing differently, well, it seems there's one, a very avoidant culture, which I've just mentioned. And two, I think it has leaned heavily on this hierarchy of racism, which means you're asking people to make an, unedif an unedifying choice we can only deal with one thing, what can we deal with? And I think we do need to put pressure on that it's not an either or, it's a both and and everything else that you need to deal with. You cannot want to govern an increasingly diverse country if you cannot even deal with issues of diversity within your own party. And if I look at the shadow cabinet, not a black woman in sight. And I think it's really very interesting and, and something that perpetually frustrates me and I wrote a book about this a lot of times when we're talking about anti-blackness a lot of times when we're talking about black women 
we are the people not speaking. We are the people not getting a voice on the panel. And so it's kind of like we have to wait for people to rescue us and to tell us how they're going to help us. When we have agency, we have voices, we have our power. We're not voiceless, we have voices and people need to be encouraged to listen. So what I think Labour needs to do in terms of beginning to tackle some of these issues is to think about where this all stems from because Prior to 2015, Labour enjoyed around 80% of the black vote, which went down in 2015, and I think it will go down the next election. In the last election, they reckon that there was about a million um, ethnic minority votes added to the Conservative base. The truth is that in a lot of Caribbean countries, the parties that are in charge are Conservative parties by and large. But coming to England, hearing the Enoch Powell Rivers of Blood speech, what you got then was in the Conservative Party was, well, then there is not a home there for us. Therefore, we will go with these progressives. So as someone just mentioned, is it that we've ever been embraced or was it that this was the lesser of the two quote unquote evils? And so people put their eggs in this basket and were received. But I do think that what people need to number one do is look at their senior leadership. Don't say it takes time. It doesn't take time. There are many, many bright black and other, you know, and and Muslim minds of talent, electoral talent, communicational talent, political nows, all of those things that can step into a culture if a culture is willing to expand and collaborate. And I'm all about solutions. and, And, you know, I think sometimes we can end up talking and talking and talking and bashing and bashing and bashing but we do need to understand, okay, well, what will it take to fix it? So I think, number one, it will take open ears and open minds for a start to actually begin to think about how to integrate diversity right through the ranks of the Labour Party in all departments and in all areas. They've got 80 seats to overturn the next election. That is not just going to happen if you chase Tory policy, which is kind of what I see happening. So I think it is about understanding that if they can sort out their base, if they can drop the superiority that clearly runs through all of those messages that are attacking black women, you know, Diana, but when we look at when they talk about the abuse of women in politics, they actually took her statistics out because they said it skewed it because she got so much. So then they focus on other people not getting as much abuse. That is an absolute dampening down and erasing of an experience that is real, lived and crippling. And a reason why many other black women might not want to enter politics and might not want to enter the Labour Party. So I think they need to, as the report says, stop thinking that because they are the so-called party of progression, no ills can happen here, and that the ends justify the means because they don't. And I also think that another interesting thing that I think is happening, even with a deputy leader, I mean, you know, five years ago, you know, Angela Rayner, there was a headline, white working class boys left behind because of the negative impact of focus on ethnic minorities and women. So when this is what your deputy leader thinks, what can we say is going on through the rank and file of the party as we've seen what the thinking is in other places? The people who are known to harbour these racist views can't stay in post if you want to make a welcoming environment. It's not enough to say people are welcome. You have to change the environment. You have to make it collaborative. You have to expand culture. You have to admit that you are human and within you exists some of this racism and to root it out, that has to be admitted. And so I think for them to change, and I'm conscious of time, I don't. I can talk and talk and talk, but what I think needs to happen and what I think Labour need to do 
is just admit that they are not the purity party and just admit there have been racist things and actually open up themselves because we can all see it. So it's not like it's a hidden thing. This is exposed now, it's in the light and actually make steps to tackle it. And I think if Keir Starmer chooses to continue not to do this, you can take the knee as many times as you like and you can take a picture of it and you can put it anywhere you want to do. You can go to the local black church, you can go and do this, you can go and do that. But as someone just mentioned, when you see that Diane Abbott is receiving all of this abuse, whether or not she backs your leadership, surely you stand on the right side of justice and say, this is wrong because of the reasons why it's happening. Not an ideological, you know, disagreement. It's purely based on her characteristics. And so I think until they face in some of those issues, become honest, become collaborative, become expansive, and stop letting chaos reign, um, then I don't think anything will change. But they have to, have to, have to, at the very beginning, at least, open a dialogue or else nothing's going to change. Thank you, Janelle, for that really well put. Um, if you've got any comment, if you've got any questions, use the hashtag Ford Report and we try and pick some of those up on Twitter. Um, you know, you mentioned this narrative around white working class. Um, often what people of colour have said to me is that they often feel neglected. They they say that we are the Labour Party's heartlands. You know, we as black working class people, as South Asian working class people, uh, we make up a substantial amount of Labour Party supporters and our votes are often taken for granted. Um, I want to bring in Beauty to talk about um, the racism and the Islamophobia in the Labour Party uh, and what action could combat it? Why hasn't Labour done anything about it? Hi Taj, thank you so much for bringing me in uh, and thank you so much uh, Media Diversified, Sam, for asking me to be part of this space and the rest of my esteemed comrades uh, for all the salient points you've made so far. Um, so I just want to start by saying that Labour commitment to anti-racism should no longer or can can no longer be done via empty mediums such as the statements that they make the the action plans um or stuff like bias training which Keir Starmer proposed post the 2011 um riots I think it's it's shown their commitment to anti-racism is shown in who they silence who they hire especially the staff um who they punish and who they push out um which we are largely seeing is is mps for minoritized communities i think the way that Keir starmer continues to treat these leaders is already already gives you what you need to know in his commitment to anti-racism within the labor party but also towards communities he's supposed to represent and one thing for me and how like actions that can be taken to actually address this anti-racism within the Labour Party and Islamophobia, as you've mentioned, is how these things are actually understood within the party, not just between factions of the left and the right, but also amongst MPs. And I just want to bring like a point that Dawn Butler made, which really struck out to me, and which is why, why I'm raising this. So Dawn Butler said, Labour is, Labour is always at the forefront of tackling racism, we have more ethnic minorities than ever. And in 2007, 
And I know it's really obvious to me and to everyone here, but I just want to point out that these two, these things are not the same thing and shouldn't be confused for such. So I'm not sure. I, I want to recommend everyone, first of all, to read the book Race to the Bottom, um, Reclaiming Anti-Racism by Ilyas Nagdi and Asfa Shafi. If you haven't read it, if you haven't read it already, I strongly encourage you to read it. So in, in this book, he coins a term which I feel like is really useful in understanding how or why Labour hasn't addressed anti-racism um, prior and post the Ford re report. So he, he coins this, they coined this concept called anti-racism from above, which is essentially a strategy of containment by the government and party politics, where they kind of flatline the work of grassroots anti-racist work and like activism um, that has previously kind of had monumental um, shifts or movement we've seen in the politics of minoritized communities and instead have now tethered them to the state, to local and national state and their instruments. So, for example, making a more diverse police force. Uh, so any, any, I feel like any sort of understanding of anti-racism or actionable work we're doing will be conflated constantly with multiculturalism and representation. Uh, just to caveat, this is by no means me encouraging or agreeing with the despicable treatment of Labour MPs for minoritized backgrounds or victim blaming, or even like the normalization of the hierarchy of racism within the Labour Party. But I just want to take a second to recognize how this goes beyond institutional racism. And I think something that's a bit harder, even myself when I was reading the, the report, um, I think would be even harder for some of the MPs or my, from minoritized communities is they are part of the problem. Um, so like factionalism, factionalism itself within minority MPs. I say it goes beyond institutional racism because I feel like some of these MPs are operating as an organized form or even as an expression of state racism. And so we see it manifest in like some of the policies they vote for, the, the violence that they enact on communities they're supposed to be rep representing. And part of that is a really big reason. I feel like it, it will take even longer or just not at all for Labour to address this. I think as I think it was Janelle or Rachel who mentioned that this is a generational legacy of Labour and their fight against a anti-racism in the party um, but also like outside it it's cyclical um, like you can see in several reports that have come out the EHRC report Scarman report following the Brixton riots I think the first and foremost the most important thing is a lot of these Labour MP MPs is to not be afraid to call out the underlying political issue or issues within the political status quo of racism and recognize and like recognize that in separating this from doing anti-racist work from above, quote unquote, um, and working on anti-racism as part of the state doesn't work. We need something that will provide real opposition, not just to racism in the Labour Party, but opposition to our current government and some of the horrific policies that they state. Because I think it's clear to everyone that there's no real opposition. The bar is literally in hell. Uh, sorry to say, um, but I think in saying all of this, it lifts it lifts a lot of um, 
how do I say, it lifts a lot of parameters set on the scope of anti-racist politics and consequently our imagination in how we answer or address issues of anti-racism. So I think in this way, you're no longer just addressing the key issues with anti-racism in the Labour Party, Islamophobia, um, anti-Semitism, but you're also then able to re-establish and reclaim the radical politics model of organising towards true, transformative, anti-racist work. Um, yeah, and that's all I have to say on that. Thank you for that, Beauty. I'm just going to read out a question that's directed towards Jen. Hi, sorry, I couldn't hear that for a second. Sorry. Sorry, let me just repeat. Um, so Rick asked a question. He said, it's all good saying Keir Starmer must do X, Y and Z about tackling all forms of racism. But when you have ethnic minorities seeing time and time again that he doesn't apparently care, what do we do then? Well, I think this is when we as a community need to really have a serious think about what are... And when I say community, I, I tend to talk about black communities because we're not a monolith. And, and I think that there is that in that question, too. But I think for all ethnic minority communities, the questions do need to be, OK, if not Labour, is there another party? I don't know, be the Lib Dem, you know, I don't want to swear at anyone, but is there another party that we can get to champion our cause? Because the thing that, that I think what I really do want to see is I want to see progression for my communities. I want to see a better deal for us all. I want to see um, policies that actually enhance our lives, enhance the way that we all live together on this island, because we do have to all live together here on this island when all is said and done. So I think it's about, okay, well, if Labour is not our party, then what next? Because what I'm telling you what I will not be doing is voting against my own self-interest. It doesn't make any sense just for a sense of perceived loyalty. And so I think it's down to us as, as communities and, and to see ourselves also as a voting block. I think in the US, not perfect, but they definitely see their vote as a voting block. And I think we haven't really seen ourselves as that. And I think once we see ourselves as a voting block, in an election that will be on a knife edge, we do have a lot of agency to ask the things that we need or else as a voting block, we're not gonna vote for you. Where are your extra votes coming from? And I think we need to, um, and I speak to myself and I'm, I'm trying not to preach anyone, but as a general community, you know, on Twitter, we're a very engaged bunch in politics. That's why we're all here today. But I think we need to take some of these messages out there into communities about voting blocks, about strategic voting, about tactical voting, to make sure that we get the kind of um, seats that we want in the areas that we need and in the parties that we need. And I think we need to take that agency that we have much more seriously and also wield that power that we have. They're up against the wall. 80 seats to be overturned next election, that's a lot of seats. Um, and chasing just the red wall is not gonna do it. So I think as, as a community, I think we can do more to wield our voting block power. And I think currently, I don't think we really do that in a cohesive way. And I think where communities do do that, they have a lot more power and a lot more influence. And I think that's something that we need to think about if Labour won't change. Thank you, Janelle. Um, one thing that I've been looking at recently, I'm researching 
political activism in the South Asian community. Um, and one thing I found really striking was there was a column in the Telegraph in the 60s about the Indian Workers Association uh, and how, as an organization, they would actually grill Labour candidates on their views on immigration, on their views on racism. Um, and they were able to mobilize, you know, the masses of many different communities. Um, and that had a lot of pressure um, on the Labour Party and Labour candidates standing for election. Um, do you think we lack that sense of organization in our communities? Is that is that one of the reasons why Labour's not effectively tackled racism? I don't know if any of our speakers want to come in on that point. So I think the way to make the change is to do just what you just said there. We need better campaigning outside and inside the Labour Party. And, you know, the Labour Party doesn't have a right to believe that it's entitled to the votes of any person or any community, specifically communities of colour, because that's just not the case, is it? And, and I think if any politician in this country from the Labour Party believes that, you know, they've got some sort of monopoly on uh, the votes of the people of colour, then they're, they're, they're living in, you know, delusion, basically. Um, for me, I, I firmly believe that Regardless of what is going on in the hierarchy of the Labour Party, we as committed people who believe in uh, the politics of liberation and believe in justice and believe in equality, we just have to keep fighting and we have to work harder than ever before. Uh, we've seen across this country amazing uh, campaigning work taking place. Just look at football. Look at the way football fans have galvanised to support food banks. Uh, I don't think we sh anybody should be uh, supporting food banks and food banks should be actually be around in one of the richest countries in the world we are where we are though right and i think um you know we, we have to keep working we have to stay focused on uh, protecting our communities our communities on the front line of the obscene politics um that are being played out daily uh, you know as i've already said that you know we've, we've got the most right-wing government in in modern history in this country um you know and what we have to do is just focus and so i think you know, every every bit of criticism uh, with regards to Labour in this space this evening is very legitimate. And we have to push for change in the Labour Party. We have to stand in, in active solidarity with those politicians, those MPs, those councillors, others who are doing the hard work from inside. And it's really hard and sometimes it can be very lonely to be working from the inside. But we have to have a dual strategy, an insider strategy and an outside strategy where we are con uh, pushing for change and we are ensuring that prog real progressive uh, politics for everyone. You know, one of our panellists has already said we, we, we all want to live together. Together. We understand um, that, you know, we are, all our futures are entwined. You know, we've got the census coming out this year in October. And without a shadow of a doubt, what it's going to show is what most of us in this space already know. This country is one of the most diverse countries in the whole of Europe, if not the world. And, you know, we are called ethnic minorities. We are, we are not minorities. Some of us are third generation, right? Um, and, you know, there has to be a very different approach to um, to tackling inequalities, which if if Labour Labour says it's the party of you know tackling inequalities, well then it can't tackle inequalities without tackling racism because the two go hand in hand. So it's a really horrific time. 
I'm, I can't pretend that it's not. I'm not here to try and whitewash that. But what I'll say is we're not going to get anywhere unless we stick together and we are, we encourage everyone to be loud and proud and unapologetic in their, you know, in, in their solidarity politics and in their desire to make things better for everyone, starting with the most marginalised people in this country who happen to be working class and happen to be racialized. Thank you for that, Shaista. I'm just going to read out a question and I'm going to bring Pez in. So Back to Books Brum asks the question, can a broadly two-party system effectively dismantle the racism so deeply entwined in Britain's democracy? Where is the threat for Labour to destroy its racism? Um, well, first of all, um, I just want to touch on um, something that Beauty said earlier. Um, I just touched on state racism, um, which I think is quite poignant, because when you look at the, the leader of the Labour Party, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone that embodies state racism um, as well as someone like Keir Starmer. Um, and you look at his CV um, as the head of the institution that locks up black people disproportionately, um, I think you can't deny that he sort of embodies that state racism. Um, and second, to get to the initial question of, um, you know, what, what, can the, what can the Labour Party sort of do about this or what, what should they do um, and why haven't they done it? Um, I mean, the answer to why they haven't done it is because they're the, the perpetrators, right? You know, they're not going um, to stand up and say, you know, we're liable for all of this racism etc etc and some of the people um implicated of course are close friends um or you know inside starmer's camp so to stand up and say you know i'm gonna kick out all of my mates from the party i just don't think he's gonna say that um in terms of the question of um you know the two-party system i think obviously Labour has been seen as a traditional home um, for ethnic minorities simply because the Tories are just that bad. Um, but I think, and like um, Janelle was saying earlier, I think that the Labour Party doesn't have that monopoly. Um, but obviously the two-party system stifles it significantly because you're browbeaten into uh, sort of saying, oh, you're a Tory enabler. Um, I think Hamza mentioned that earlier. Um, you're a Tory enabler if you try to... Uh, sort of criticise the Labour Party or anything like that. So I think it's a, it's, it's a tricky one. Um, and I don't think that uh, the answer can be found within the Labour Party, that's for sure. Thank you for that. Um, I just want to bring in Raf here um, to talk about, you know, we've just heard about the two-party system. A lot of black people, a lot of Muslims will be voting for the Labour Party in the foreseeable future. It's incredibly difficult for another party to challenge the Labour Party. Um, is the best response to tackling racism and Islamophobia to stay in the party and fight? Hello, can you hear me? Yep. Okay, excellent. Um, short answer, it's time to leave. It really is time to leave. Like, these people have still got tan lines from the Spectator Summer Party. Like, do you understand the opposition that we are against in terms of Islamophobia within the party? There are people 
in the Labour Party who saw fit to go to the Spectator Summer Party, do salams with people who use woke and Corbynite as pejorative terms for black and brown people. Like, this is what, like, what... I don't know what to tell other people. I mean, it, the Labour Party, in my view, is institutionally Islamophobic and it's beyond repair now. Like, they are openly telling us to go away. So, I don't, like, I don't... Like, I mean, there's been very good conversations on here by the panels about, oh, uh, we can do this within the Labour Party. But listen, we've had a, a member of the NEC say that, yeah, we're going to look into the report's recommendation in terms of anti-blackness and Islamophobia and bigotry and obviously the gendered racism that the, specifically the black women of uh, women within the party have faced. But we're not going to do anything drastic because we've just done everything for uh, anti-Semitism. Now, this is an NEC member reading, um, so, sorry, sending out tweets after reading the Ford report. So that is, that is what we're up against. They don't want us there. So why are we staying just to survive? I'm sorry, like, that's that's where I'm at. I'm fed up with the Labour Party. Um, so you mentioned at the start um, of the space how Muslim voters, black people are being taken for granted. Um, do you agree with Raf that it's time to leave? Do you think it's worth staying in the party? What's the alternative if we all leave? I'm 100% uh, in accord with Raf. I, I think... I think he touched on something which is crucial, which is, um, I think deep down the labor hierarchy, the, the, the problem is twofold. Basically, they don't see, they don't see this, this issue as racist. They don't particularly see it as a problem. They, they're obviously the perpetrators, but they're, as far as they're concerned, if it's, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, and so that mentality in itself, I mean, you see when you, the Rwanda scheme, I mean, it's, it's inhumane, it's cruel, it's vile, but they're only opposing on logistical reasons because they genuinely don't see a problem with, with these kind of, they're seen from the Tory playbook, if you like. Um, and and so the, I think they're banking on, they know deep down that, like, I think uh, Janelle mentioned 80% of black voters uh, voting for the Labour Party. In 2017, 85% of Muslims voted for the Labour Party. I think a similar figure in the 2019 election. Um, so they they kind of know that there is these guys are a loyal block, right? They, they're going to vote come what may. They're going to vote for the party, and it's it's down to us to change that. I do think it's time to to think about the alternatives. Um, there are various individual parties propping up, but I think I think as well it's it's about trying to engage whilst possible. So as far as Labour Party is concerned, it's about people that aren't going to go anywhere are the likes of Zara Sultana, um, councillors like uh, Ali Milani, um, Absana Begum. So it's using their avenues, trying to allow them to engage with the Labour Party where possible, but also not allowing this toxic culture of Islamophobia to and, and wider racism to, to fester, because not to hyperbolize the situation or anything, but if you look at France where accruing political capital is achieved in elections, um, the best ways by pitting groups against each other you see it's 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 a race it's an islamophobia arms race essentially the french elections and it's about who can target the the, the scarf who can target muslim voters and and radical islam etc and so we don't want to move we're, we're we're lurching to the right but we don't end up in a position where our votes are taken for granted and so people use us as political footballs when they want votes um 
And so I do think, I think it's time to reconsider our options. But I think for, look, the fish rots from the head, um, from the top. I mean, look, Keir Starmer, his, 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 his sentiments yesterday when he talked about the fact that there is no issue, there's no need to take heed, there's no need to reflect, dismissing the hierarchy of racism. That should be, if anyone was in doubt, that should have been, uh, that should be the nail in the coffin. That, that should be the decisive moment where people say, look, it's clear we're not wanted here. Now, what are our options? Thank you, Hamza. Pez, you wanted to jump in on this. Yeah, yeah. First of all, um, just in terms of, you know, there's been a lot said about we need to do X, Y, Z, put pressure on this person to, um, you know, talk to this person and this and that. And ultimately, the, the decision comes down to the leadership. And we've had two years now of uh, stamps. And can anybody in this space at all tell me can they see him resolving this situation in a way that's not performative or that's not some sort of, uh, <laughs> that's not him going down to like, I think it was Janelle suggested earlier, him going down to a black church or maybe he's going to post up outside of Morley's or something. Do you know what I mean? Is there any sort of way that you guys can imagine Keir Starmer handling this or not even Keir Starmer, his shadow cabinet handling this in a way that's not performative? And so I think they, the, the Labour Party do take the votes of black and minority people for granted. So <laughs> the only way to exercise your power, if they take you for granted, is to withhold your vote. No? I mean, you can beg and plead with them all you like, but ultimately the mentality of these people is that these guys are going to vote for us regardless because they're not going to go to the Tories and we've got uh, first past the post, so who else are they going to vote for? And that's the mentality of these guys. So I, I don't think any sort of cajoling or pleading or bargaining um, with these people, if you truly believe that, um, you know, the Labour Party is redeemable um, and, you know, you, can, you could probably bring yourself to vote for them again. Um, if you truly believe that, then you've got to exercise your, your power about withholding your vote, if anything. Thank you, Pez. Just before I bring Beauty in, um, the discussion around people leaving the Labour Party, um, one phrase I've often heard is ecosystems of resistance, you know, putting pressure on the party internally and externally. Um, and Shyster mentioned earlier how she'd met David Evans and she'd put to them some of the issues around the hierarchy of racism. Um, Beauty, do you think there is a risk then that if Muslims and black people leave the Labour Party, that the situation won't improve at all? Um, I think that's an interesting question you're asking. And I think that for to place kind of a responsibility on the, the situation improving on the membership of minoritized communities really like takes away from what the problem really, really is. Like it has nothing to do with us. <laughs> you know, this, this is like, I think it was... Was it Pez? No, it was Raf who said it. The fish rods from the head. Like, what What does my membership have to do with the fact that you can't sort your shit out? Sorry for my language. <laughs> and um, just to go back to the previous points made by Pez um, and everyone else, I think what we've said about things that can be done and in an ideal Labour Party is incredibly um aspirational idealistic um there is still unfortunately an understanding and acceptance amongst us especially like young people 
like myself, um, that the Labour Party is a natural home for minoritized communities, especially black people. And as as I won't lie, when I was growing up, I believed this to the core. You know, I wasn't really engaging with politics as critically as I do now. Um, but being a young person, part of the, the diaspora, having this message continuously shared generationally, um, you know, based on empty promises and lies that our families were made to believe, and just the, the exploitation of hope or improved material conditions of our lives, of their lives, of the state of racism in this country, um, um, I think really continues to play on our minds. And as Pez said earlier on it all stems from leadership i don't see keir starmer doing anything meaningful to address this uh i say all of this to say i am done with the labor party i i agree with raf in that everyone else should do the same i don't particularly see a future that involves the labor party and and its mps yes even those those that are minoritized yes those that have been affected by anti-racism as stated in this report you are essentially representing a polit politics that don't that don't uh represent me that don't align with me that cause violence towards me um so i just don't see how a future that involves these mps um decoupling you know depoliticizing de uh, de-radicalizing the ongoing work you know they just continue to do all of these things on anti-racism and I think it limits our the solutions we have the capacity to imagine and therefore reach um, and yeah that's all I have to say on that. Thank you for that beauty. Afros you wanted to come in on this. Yes please thank you. Um, yeah definitely agree with, with Raf and Beauty and Paz and Hamza I mean um, it's, you know, as Beauty said, all of the things around, the, you know, what we can do to mobilize within the party, to create change within the party, it is very aspirational and it is based on the understanding that the party that we are operating within and the system that we are trying to influence is working in good faith, that this system will, will engage with you in good faith. And it, that is not what it's doing. <laughs> they, they are not, I think if anything, um, the Ford report proves it's that the party leadership is not engaging with in good faith on issues of racism. Um, you know, so then, so what, what do you do then? I mean, there's, you can make, you can make whatever effort you want to make. And my position is that you do the, do the work because it's the right thing to do um, without necessarily expecting that anything will change as a result. And I don't mean just within the Labour Party, but just in general, you know, anti-racism work, anti-oppression work, et cetera, you do it because it's the right thing to do and not necessarily because it will bring about, um, it, it will change anything. If it changes, then that's amazing. However, um, you know, if you are doing this work, what is the point if there's no will from within the party, from within, you know, the powers that be in the party, the people who are calling the shots, if there's no will from them to actually address the, the problem, why are you, what is that going to achieve then? You can do whatever you like until you're blue in the face and it's not going to achieve a thing, right? So I definitely <laughs> agree then that we are at the point where we do need to disengage, where we do need to withhold our vote. Um, the other thing that I don't know if has been 
acknowledged or that people acknowledge enough is that this whole process of engaging with the Labour Party or engaging generally, trying to engage with Westminster politics for people who are, you know, activists and from minority groups, um, from marginalized communities, um, and then getting nowhere with it is exhausting. Like there's only so much that you can do up until a point until you just freaking burn out because it's not achieving a thing, right? And again, if you are operating in a space where they're not operating in good faith, where there's no will to actually address the issues that really affect you and your being and your communities and your homes, you know, um, if they don't want to address those issues, it's like banging your head against a brick wall. It's exhausting. Um, so, you know, it's really, I don't really think that it's my position to say then to those people who have been exhausted and burnt out by <laughs> after engaging that actually, no, carry on, you know, oh, don't give up. The party needs you or whatever. It's just like, do what you need to do to look after yourself and your communities. And I think in terms of moving on and moving forward, I think that is what we need to do. Is we need to look out for each other on a community level. We need to look out for each other beyond Westminster politics, because it's very clear that Westminster politics doesn't give a shit about people like us. Um, and, you know, just sorry, I'm <laughs> I've lost my train of thought, then, so I'm going to stop speaking now. I've ranted. Um, I'll, I'll stop there. Thank you, Afros. Um, Raf, you, you want to say something? No, Pez? Okay. Sorry, sorry, I, I was on mute. Um, so just going back, circling back to my point about leaving. I mean, please don't misconstrue that. I'm not saying leave and do nothing. I'm doing, I'm saying literally doing anything other than spending your time in a party that actively hates you is a better use of your time. I join a union. Yeah, I'm not saying a union doesn't have racism and all the problems associated with the party, but at least with collective bargaining, you might get a pay rise and better working conditions, which is a material change worth working for. Within the Labour Party, and also, uh, and I don't, I'm not just saying it as just to get some, some sort of um, hype, oh yeah, leave the uh, um, party if you're a Muslim, Look, we've had decades and decades of Labour Party under under Blair, under Brown, under Miliband, under even to a certain extent under Corbyn, because he wasn't perfect and he was working against a PLP. So yeah, under Corbyn as well, we've had in um is Islamophobic policies directed towards us. And it's been by the Labour Party. So, I mean, just one example would be prevent. It started under a Labour government. The Trojan horse, the loudest champions of that false narrative in Birmingham were Labour Muslim MPs from Birmingham with a Labour council. I mean, just that alone should say to you, this party does not want the Muslim vote nor does it care for us. It actively wants us to go away. So let's go away, but not just go away and do nothing and sit on our asses, because that's not a good idea either. I'm saying join a union, join um, local grassroots 
movements to, uh, around rent, local issues, do anything other than just stay in the Labour Party and moan and uh, moan about it all the time because they don't want us there. So let's not let's let's leave. Let's do anything else, and that's all I have to say on that. Thank you, Raf. Pez, you wanted to come in, and then I'll bring Shaista in. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Raf mentioned um, Tony Blair, and I mean, you just have, and we're going back to it again. You have to look at the leadership. Those are that's Blair's guy right there. Keir Starmer is Blair's guy. Peter Mandelson is in Keir Starmer's ear twenty four seven. He's got him. He's got him just like a puppet, and he's telling him what to do. Peter Mandelson, obviously, Blair's uh, basically right hand man. And it's sort of the continuity there between the Islamophobia of the Blair government and the Islamophobia of, the, of Keir Starmer. These are all, it's the same personnel. It's the same people in the background. It's the same disdain um, sort of running through there. And to go back to what Afros was saying about the, the care point, um, in terms of leaving the party, yeah, sure. But even getting people to join the party, you, you can't expect me to look at any young aspiring black activist and tell them, you know, after what we've just heard and what we've just read and what we've just seen and tell them to join the Labour Party. Do you know what I mean? And, and as, as for staying, um, I'm, you know, I'm not a Labour Party member. I don't want to speak for anybody, but I, 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 couldn't, I, I couldn't recommend staying in a party that, hate, that hates not only Muslims, black people, but if we're talking um, politically, anyone that's to the left of Ed Miliband. So if you're someone that believes in progressive politics, not just if you're someone that's, you know, black, Muslim, or otherwise racialized, uh, I, I don't think you, you've got a future in the Labour Party because as you've seen from the last two years that we've had of Keir Starmer, all he seems to want to do is crush the left and that's his job. Um, so if you're anyone that's fair enough, you're a racialized uh, minority, um, but if you're even vaguely on the left, um, the Labour Party is not a place for you. Thank you for that, Pez. Shaista, you wanted to come in on this. You know, you mentioned previously how you've been involved in the party, trying to put these issues to the party leadership. Um, and the consensus from a lot of the speakers is that now's the time to leave. What's your take on that? So I respect all views in this space. Uh, I think we're here for a reason this evening. Um, the reason why we're here is because we know that the Labour Party must do better, regardless of people's, if people go or if people stay. Obviously, I think if people go, that's that's even more devastating. Um, I'll be really frank with you here and say my number one priority right now is to get the Tories out. Um, Britain's Trump allegedly has left. He's still there. He hasn't gone anywhere. We've got a the clown show of the leadership contest going on which has been an absolute race to the bottom just horrific um and the priority for me is to get them out they need to be removed at all costs and they need to go like yesterday um i work as a councillor in oxford one of the wealthiest cities in the country and i can tell you that people are struggling as they are everywhere else and you know i'm dealing with casework which is going through the roof um about you know people really struggling to feed their kids um people really worried about their housing situation it's just utterly devastating uh, and i know that you know many of you here are dealing with that all day in day out as well um and then you know i just say that the labor party doesn't belong to one man who wears a suit it doesn't belong to 
one leader. I'll be frank with you and say no white straight man uh, political leader is going to change my life or the life of the people you know uh, in my in the communities I represent. Um, for me, this is not what this is about. Um, do I think that the Labour Party is a progressive safe space for any marginalised, minoritised person? Absolutely not. It's not a safe space, right? Um, I think what we have to do is fight. And quite frankly, we're fa facing the fight of our lives. And I'll just round my point up by saying I'd also, you know, I know we're coming to a close now, but I don't really know what a left progressive space is because we don't have one in this country okay we have brilliant amazing activists who are firefighting every day in political spaces but i don't know what a progressive left is in europe I, i've worked out what it is in places like portugal you know I've, i was there recently working there i'm going off to germany um this summer to uh, deliver some workshops on intersectionality you know i i I'm kind of grasping what what those left spaces are in europe but i have no idea what they are in this country and i I think you know there's a lot of hard work that needs to be done but does it need to be done at the cost of our mental health and our well-being and our safety no it doesn't so for those people who don't feel like they can stay in the party I'm not going to sit here and say you know you must stay if it's going to cause you more harm of course you, you shouldn't have harm heaped on you but what I will say is that the Labour Party belongs to the members it belongs to the activists and campaigners it belongs to those migrants who came to this country and have worked to make this country what it is right and Right now, the Tories and their culture war is all about locking up more and more black people and trying to deport migrants and refugees um, to Rwanda and, you know, much more. Um, and, you know, the Labour Party has been, you know, missing in action on these issues for too long. But I do believe that, you know, we have to keep fighting and we have to find ways to contribute in the way that we can contribute by, you know, staying safe. Thank you, Shaista. The perception amongst many black people, amongst many Muslims, is that the Labour Party is a toxic space. It's an uncomfortable space. Um, and as Beauty you know, mentioned and Afros as well, it shouldn't, the onus shouldn't be on party members to stay in a party that you know, affects their mental health, that um, you know, really disillusions so many people. Uh, Janelle, do you agree with that? Do you think now's the time to leave? I think it's a really interesting point because... I think it takes on different kinds of personalities, and I think there are different kinds of personalities. Even this conversation, people speaking, we all have a different, even if you might have the same idea, it may be a different approach. And I think for some people, to stay inside and fight for the soul of the party or for the ideology... Sorry, you know, I think there's a there's an issue with your mic. Yo, it's sounding kind of demonic, do you know? Oh, oh no, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, your mic kind is of scary still. Yeah. <laughs> for our, that for, our for a second, man. I'll, yeah, I'll bring in. I'll bring in you first, and I, I don't know if you've got an issue with your mic, Janelle. That you could. I think, voice, I think there's a voice transformer. <laughs> yeah, I think it, there's a real issue with your mic, Janelle, at the moment. Am we I can't back, really Am I back to normal? Am I back to yeah, normal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, can you believe I work? journalism and I tapped voice transformer which turned me into Darth Vader sorry everyone for a moment of lightness That's but I think <laughs> for those people you know it takes all different kinds of people in any fight and for some people to stay inside the party fight with their heart and soul for the ideology from the inside out is what people want to do and I think as Shaisa just said we want to support people who want to do that 
for other people, it will be the best thing for themselves, for their own sanity, for their own peace of mind to go and do grassroots work somewhere else. And I think we need to support people in that because I don't think there's one way to tackle this. I think there are multiple ways. And, and like Shaisa just said and someone else said, if we stick together and if we give other people grace for the way that they want to fight it, but we have in mind an idea for a more just um, space on the left, then I think that for me is a way that we stick together, but still achieve our aims individually in the way that people feel they can. Also, I think if Labour don't have someone listening in on this, then I just know there's no hope because they should be listening in tonight to be hearing what people are saying, what people are thinking. But the one thing that I do think is we don't want to get into that saviour mentality. There's no one person that's going to save it. We should all stay engaged in the political process. This is one party, as someone just said, not owned by anybody. They don't own Labour, they don't own the ideologies of the left. They happen to be caretaking it in a very front-facing way. But it's down to all of us to really speak up to and live up to the ideals that we believe we can see um, and, and do it together. And maybe that's too idealistic, but unless we have something that we want, we can't just talk about the things that we don't want. We have to have a vision of what we think can be. Thank you for that, Janelle. And just a final uh, contribution from Beauty. What do we do next as ethnic minority communities? Um, uh, I personally truly believe that <clears throat> anti-capitalism and anti-racism, as we've spoken about tonight, is rooted in socialism. And as the current Labour Party stands, especially post-Corbyn era, there is no room for this. I think we need to take this back into our own hands and put anti-racist organising in communities. Um, I think especially putting it in communities where that can sometimes be lost in much larger movements, uh, because I feel like that's where the most marginalised of, for example, the working class, class exists so i'm talking about migrants i'm talking about women and centering but also putting these these their priorities and needs at the forefront of anti-racist organizing and just organizing in general um in the work that we do um i also feel like part part of what we need to do is consider uh what international um movements in the same way are doing i know that someone mentioned earlier that we don't know what a socialist party looks like in this space but if you look around the world and you look a a across internationalist organizing spaces you will see what exactly that looks what that looks like what it entails and you will see that it's not just uh fictional or you know something that can't be obtained like we can imagine it and we can definitely reach it that's what I would say. Thank you so much, Beauty. Just before we close the discussion off, I just want to say a massive shout out to Samantha um, and the Writers of Colour team who put in a lot of effort to get this space set up. You know, since Saturday, every single day, they've been trying to get speakers in. Uh, they've been arranging. This takes a lot of work and it only goes to demonstrate why spaces like these are so important because the reality is we're not going to have this discussion in the mainstream media. Um, so uh, please follow people, uh, writers of colour. Please support their work. Donate to them. Um, and let's build these spaces so we can have more conversations like this. Thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. Um, and we hope to have more discussions like this soon.